Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The contents of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward, but we hope that listeners will sit with their discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, their likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversation to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if need be, turn off the podcast. Consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. On the podcast today, we have Reese Valella, a sophomore from Washington, D.C. She is majoring in film theory and business at Gallatin with a minor in the business of entertainment, media, and technology. Reese is the co-marketing manager for Planned Parenthood Generation Action at NYU. She is also the Pledge Education Secretary in marketing for Delta Kappa Alpha, NYU's gender-inclusive cinematic fraternity. She is also running the social media for NYU Advanced Pilot Acting Human, a show about a trans man's experience coming out in high school. Reese, would you like to share your pronouns and anything else with listeners about your background or why the topic's important to you? Yeah, uh, my pronouns are she, her. I was introduced to the podcast by some connections I made through PPGen NYU. And I'm very passionate about reproductive justice and having open dialogues about sexuality and healthy and communicative relationships. So I am just excited to be here and chat with you guys. Well, thanks so much for being here. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us maybe just one thing, if you can find one thing, that you like about being at NYU? Yeah, um, I love the vastness of the community at NYU and how that enables you to find people that are very similar to you and share the same interests, but also make connections with people with completely different backgrounds and perspectives. Yeah. That's great. We have a set of questions that we're going to ask, but we also want to, you know, create an equitable equitable space. And so if you have any questions that you want to ask, um, bring into the space, then those are absolutely welcome. If you want to turn any of these questions around and ask us, hey, what about you? Please feel free to do so. Um, we want to just name that, you know, we're, we're completely comfortable having this conversation and talking about some of these topics as well and sort of being personal with it. So we're going to get started with, you know, hopefully some lighter questions that move into um, maybe a little bit deeper. So what song gets you in the mood? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know. I, I love music and I like to listen it for for every single mood that I have. I have hmm. to have like a go-to like album or song to listen to. 
So I feel like um, like my current like female empowerment anthem mm-hmm. is just like songs from When the Pawn by Fiona Apple. Mm, nice. um, she's always like my go-to girl boss artist. <laughs> but I also feel like the new Rex Orange County album has a lot of good like feel good, feeling strong, feeling good about myself, self-confident songs that I've been turning to lately. Yeah, That's I love great. that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, who was your first crush? Maybe it was a real person, maybe a TV character, a literary character, musician. You don't have to name names, but if you want to share kind of the, the experience oh, or what that was sure. like. So I am like a big believer in having a celebrity crush at all times. I think it's a <laughs> lot of fun. I, f- I feel like it's really important to like rotate every six months mm-hmm. or so because I know people who've had like solely Harry Styles as their celebrity crush since they were like eight years old (laughs) and it's just so much less fun and exciting than like switching it up all the time so my first big celebrity crush was the guy who played Carl on The Walking Dead when Mm. I was 11 I don't know why I was obsessed with that show at 11 I don't know what that says about (laughs) me like psychologically but uh, I don't really know what about him did it for me but like because he's just the most like generic white guy but he I was just obsessed with him and Mm. then when season five of The Walking Dead came out. Then my crush was like Negan, who was played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan. So mm. you can kind of tell from like that timeline, like when I started listening to Lana Del Rey and like <laughs> getting edgy and cool. So. I've actually never watched The Walking Dead, but I I know that character from yes. Love Actually. Right. Is that the same yeah, guy? It's, and yeah, it's one and of them. I my husband and I were watching Love Actually for the first time and he was yes. a Walking Dead fan and he's like, oh, that guy's on The Walking Dead. And I was like, yeah. oh, had no clue. <laughs> yes, watching Love Actually now, I'm like constantly just like reciting the, the resume of all of the actors. I'm right. Like, oh my God, that's <laughs> They've Laura come a long way. from Ozark. I'm yep. like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Have you had your first kiss and who was that with? And you don't have to name names, um, but whatever you feel comfortable with. Um, I think that's going to be a little boundary that I'm going to set up here um, from answering. I'll be shrouded in a little mystery for that. Yeah. Nice. I like that. And (laughs) we do want to respect boundaries. So I appreciate you naming that that's a boundary for you. And so we'll just keep moving if that's okay. All right. Mm -hmm. So speaking of boundaries, how did you learn about boundaries? You know, the the topic of the podcast is is sex, but we can talk about other, you can talk about sexual boundaries if you want, or relationship boundaries, emotional boundaries, um, digital time material, those kinds of things. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I would say there was one like particular moment that I was taught about boundaries, but I think growing up, I was always taught to like stick up for myself and be conscious of my own limits and the boundaries of the people around me. Um, like in all contexts with relationships, like personal and work life, things like that. So um, I'll credit that to my parents for doing a good job teaching me things like that. Um, and even now, like as an adult, I'm still learning how to balance my my academic life and my personal relationships and like my own me time and personal and mental health. So I feel like it's just like a constant uh, learning and adapting process. I agree. I'm right there with you. Still learning, still figuring yeah. it out. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to, to boundaries, it sounds like, you know, your parents were really, you know, key in helping you navigate some of that in the very beginning. Like, how would you say you learned how to communicate um, in general and maybe even specifically around sex, pleasure, desire, those sort of things? Yeah, I feel like I sort of similarly, I don't even know if I did like learn how to communicate <laughs> things like that. I feel like there's there's obviously a lot of like stigma for for women in regard to those things, like communicating them, not just in sex, but like in relationships in general, Mm -hmm. whether like 
personal or or romantic or platonic, like it's hard to be dissatisfied mm-hmm. in any relationship. And it's also really difficult to communicate that. So that's also like a live and learn process that mm-hmm. I am going through through life. Mm-hmm. I think that we um, like to talk about norms and, and yeah. demystifying some of the social and cultural norms that we have. And I think that that's, that's a big one right there that you yeah. named that, you know, like a lot of, a lot of female identifying people or female assigned at birth people yeah. are, are told, you know, just be quiet and don't, mm-hmm. and don't say your needs, you know, you might come across as too needy or, right. or, um, you know, might be high maintenance or something like that. Those are like the, the stigmas that we're, that are placed in the labels that are placed on us. And so, yeah, well, right. And just learning. talking about sex can be something that like, I think some, some gender identities are, are told, like, you're, you're not supposed to want it. You're supposed to say like, oh, I'm, I'm pure and I'm mm-hmm. demure. And like, we don't talk about those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're not learning how to communicate overall. And then like, when it comes to like communicating about sex, you know, sometimes even less so because yeah. of some of the stigma. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, all of those uh, myths that we're trying to bust here. Yes, <laughs> for sure. What were some of the dominant messages you grew up with about sex and relationships? So growing up, I feel like um, throughout my life, like people my age really just like weren't in relationships until college. Um, Like I remember in middle school, there was one boy in my grade who was always like dating different girls, but Mm -hmm. it was really just like a friendship with a label of dating. Mm -hmm. That was like the extent of the romance. Um, and then in high school, like a few of my friends got into relationships, but uh, honestly, it was like very uncommon for people at my school to be in like a committed rela- romantic relationship. Um, not that there was any like stigma against it, but there just really wasn't much pressure to be in a relationship, which I, I think was a good thing in retrospect. And it was nice because I definitely valued and, and felt like I, I needed to take the time to like figure myself out in high school rather than like be in a relationship and and figure someone else out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you know if your classmates, even if they weren't in relationships, were they having sex or hooking up or you know, or were you are you kind of equating like only people right. in relationships were maybe having sex or not, and and people that weren't in relationships weren't? Yeah, hookup culture really wasn't very present at my school. Mm-hmm. I I went to and all girls boarding high school. So it was kind of, it it was, you know, it was sticky to be like for, you know, women who were like hooking up, like within the school, obviously Mm. kind of tricky being in a, in a, not only a a small dorm, but like people who were closeted and maybe not fully like comfortable Mm -hmm. with their sexuality. And then for anyone that was trying to be in relationships with people outside of the school, Obviously, even just like logistically, like mm-hmm. hookup culture mm-hmm. was complicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That makes sense. Speaking of your school, what kind of sex education um, did you receive uh, at home or at school? And uh, if so, like, was it helpful, harmful, um, or neither? So, yeah, in middle school, we had sex ed once a year from fifth through eighth grade. But they called it human growth and development mm-hmm. instead of sex ed. And it was obviously very focused on like having sex for the purpose of having kids and like it was very heteronormative and more of like the standard sex education that you receive when you're in middle school. I I definitely wouldn't say that it was it was bad, but I definitely wouldn't say that I was set for life after that. Um, And then we also had some sex ed in high school. And by that point, like everyone had kind of figured out like the mechanics of how it worked, (laughs) but it was definitely much better in high school. um, And we approached the subject with a lot less shame. Uh, there was more discussion of like 
consent and STDs and mm. queer sex. And it was it was a lot more beneficial mm-hmm. and, uh, at that point. That's great to hear. Yeah. yeah, that is encouraging. Yeah. And what about at home? Did you have any conversations about sex at home? Or do you know what your family's attitudes were towards sex growing up? Not much like sex ed at home, because I just think that like, it, like out of convenience of my school doing the sex ed, we were just like, okay, well, you know, they covered the birds and the bees talk. But there, it, it's not like um between my parents that it's like, like an unspoken subject. It was just something that like from an education standpoint, we didn't do together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. And are there any relationship or sexual myths or judgments that you've held in the past that maybe have taken you some time to gain some insight into? Yeah. So this is going to be more about like my, my revelations about like sexual culture that I came to in high school. But I feel like the media portrays like the sexual cultural environment in high school and college so different from the reality. Like when I was in middle school, I'd watch shows like Gossip Girl or 90210 and all the actors are like 23-year-old Abercrombie models. And you're like, oh my God, is that what I'm going to look like when I'm 14? And then all the characters are like hooking up with each other and constantly at parties on like Wednesday nights and like everybody's just having sex all the time and always in a relationship. And you know, that's just, that's not the reality. (laughs) Not to say that like on some level that like sex and relationships don't happen in high school, but it's just not like nearly as, as salacious as I feel like a lot of media and like TV shows and movies make it out to be. Mm. Yeah. I feel like, um, when I was in high school, I, I similarly, we watched this video in like a health class of, um, that somebody did as a project and it was students from our school acting out, like being at a party and drinking and driving and and all this stuff. And I just remember thinking, why is this something that they have to teach us? Are people at our school actually doing this? And then my senior year of high school, you know, I was like a goody two shoes and like (laughs) in marching band and didn't party at all. And, and I went to a party my senior year of high school, like I drove somebody there and was like a, a DD and yeah. I just like, like got out of the car and it was people from both of our high schools in the city. And I was like, wow, yeah. people actually are engaging in these activities. And I just had no yeah. idea. And so like, I think it's, it's interesting, like there were things happening in my school. I had no idea were right. even happening, but you know, and it's kind of just a, this wide range of what is happening in high school and, you mm-hmm. know, yeah. from from the very extreme of absolutely nothing related yeah. to sex or dating. And then like, yeah, people are, are hooking up and, and doing that. And well, it's funny that you say that because I, I had someone share with me this, this week, even how they're looking back on their childhood, thinking about the impact and how they really didn't feel cool. Mm-hmm. Right. And like just not having that sense of belonging in high school right. and how that was because they didn't get invited to those parties. They weren't like seen as cool. They weren't yeah. they didn't have a lot of really close connections because they had to really have a fake facade of who they were in order to be accepted. And now they're in, you know, a different state in their life. And it's like, yeah. oh, I get to be more authentically me. But there's mm. this old part of me that want, worries someone's going to find out. Right. Mm. And I also think because I went to such a small school and it was all girls, Mm. I mean, there was notoriously a very big, like, snitch culture Mm. about, like, partying and, like, if people were dating or hooking up, it was just really hard for that to stay private. Like, I mean, like, everyone would know a week later because it was Mm. such a – it was, Mm. you know, like, 400 girls at the whole school and, you know, a lot of people are living together. It was just kind of hard to, like – 
avoid um, getting, you know, exposed for things mm-hmm. like that, especially with parties where there was so there were a lot of strict rules and it yeah. was they were very strict about like no drinking, um, no, no, no drugs and alcohol, like even off campus, and and you know, so it was. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was an interesting environment yeah, to be in yeah. as a high schooler. Um, Reminds yeah. me, though, a little bit, I mean, completely different, but similar in the fact that I went to a very small school. And I, mm-hmm. I know I hear you say, oh, only yeah. 400 people. There were 30, no, 23 people in my graduating class. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was related to a couple of them. Oh, <laughs> you know, wow. So it was like... <laughs> You had, it was a, like, a small town in Kansas, farming right. community, and I had a bunch of, like, cousins <laughs> throughout the high school. And so it's like, if we had a party, the whole school, it was either yeah. knew about it or was there or like, oh, who went to the, like, everyone, it also sort of yeah. went through the chain of people really quickly. Oh, for yeah. sure. So yeah. I really sort of connected with you on yes. that. And also the idea that, think about the people from your high school and right. Gossip Girl yeah. coming together in college, <laughs> sure. right? Yes. And it's that that mm-hmm. idea of kind of like everybody has such a vast – there's such a vast experience level of people in high school, and then we're kind of all thrown together right. in college, yeah. and that can kind of cause some – tension yes. and, and trouble as well, you know, because everybody's coming from different different experiences in different places. Right. And so what type of relationship models? So monogamy, non-monogamy, polyamory, were you exposed to growing up? And has this influenced you and your feelings about these models today? Yeah. So like within my family, the kinds of relationships that I was exposed to, uh, my, my parents are divorced and they taught me like what it looks like to have a healthy divorce. Mm-hmm. And really understand that divorce isn't some big, scary, bad thing. Because when you're younger, uh, like, and, you know, when some of my peers' parents would be getting divorced, it would just be, like, they'd be so upset and torn up about it and and, and stressed. And, yeah, that, that makes sense a lot of the times because divorce can be, like, a very messy and problematic thing, uh, especially when it involves kids. But it can also be a really positive thing. The relationships between, like, the parents can be sustained and can obviously be a better scenario than staying in, like, an unhappy relationship. So I'm, I'm really glad that my parents did and continue to show me what it's like to co-parent and have, like, a good, healthy relationship. That's wonderful. I think yeah. so many people have an experience with divorced yeah. parents or family members, and a lot of them develop, like, difficulties within relationships as a result. So the fact that you had a really good model for a relationship that maybe wasn't working and it ended in a very healthy way, like, you know, that's tells you that potentially other relationships can end in a way that can also be healthy, whether that's partners or friends, like it's okay. Like if this isn't working out, right. So I really, Mm -hmm. um, I'm glad that you can share that with us because I think so many other people can probably relate to that as well. If you could go back to speak with your younger self, is there anything you would say to your younger self when first becoming sexually active or having sexual urges? Ooh, I don't know. I think that sort of like I was saying in that era of of being a high school student and thinking that like, oh my God, you're supposed to like have all of your first when you're in high school and like you just need to, you know, get through all of that and like that's going to be the stage in your life where you need to like you need to be the party girl or the girl who's hooking up with people. And because that wasn't, you know, that's the expectation I had. And I realized that I, I didn't really want that for myself. <laughs> and and getting into high school and also knowing that it that wasn't the culture, I almost felt like there was something, like, 
wrong with me. I was like, oh my God, why am I not like getting, you know, like why am I not going on a bunch of dates? Why am I not like having relationships? Like why isn't this what I I thought it was going to be? And so I would just tell myself that, you know, I I would just say it's it's not a big deal and that there's no, you don't have to place the value that you have in yourself like on how other people are treating you mm-hmm. romantically mm-hmm. and how like other people are are perceiving you and that it's it's totally fine to just like figure yourself out first mm-hmm. that's, that's so important yeah that's great advice yeah so how do your identities influence your perspective and views on sex and relationships i'm not i'm not really <laughs> sure to be honest i mean i'm i obviously come from a a family where you know not just my parents but i do have several family members that are divorced and i so i feel like for a lot of my life i kind of was like oh well then i need to like grow up and get married and have a successful relationship and be with this person until i'm old and die and we're going to get buried next to each other and it's going to be amazing and then I just, like, have realized growing up that, like, you know, I don't need to live up to any expectation that I'm setting for myself, especially when it comes to, like, having, like, the perfect, like, fairy tale marriage or anything that, mm-hmm. like, I- I've kind of finally come to a point in my life where I realize, like, I don't have anything specific that I desire in the future for relationships. Like, if I have a long-term partner, that's awesome, like, go me. Um, But, like, if I don't, I also don't – that's not, like, a fear anymore of, like, you know, people are, like, dying alone. It's so scary. And it's, like, you don't need to have, like, a a sole romantic partner Mm -hmm. to have a life that was fulfilling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think so often I hear folks talking about, oh, I'm going to die alone or, oh, I'm going to be alone. And I'm like, we – put our romantic relationships on this pedestal, we forget that like we have family, we have friends, those connections Mm -hmm. are just as important, Mm -hmm. you know, um, as a romantic partner. Yes, a romantic partner, you know, can be something different and something else and Mm -hmm. add to our experience. But I think only if it's adding to our experience and making our life better, like, is that something that like, you know, we should allow space for if it's like not going to make us better or it's going to impede on our ability to be happy, then maybe that's not the right choice for us. And like you, just because you're alone doesn't mean you're going to be alone forever and you have other people around you. Right. How does privilege, power and oppression play a role in your sexuality and how you engage in relationships? Obviously, like I'm, I'm a very privileged person to be like a cisgender white woman um that is in like you know in the dating scene I guess like I I understand my privilege because I one of my best friends in high school I I watched them sort of navigate what it was like to not discover but like come to terms with being uh like non-binary at an all-girls school and then and then going to college and navigate what it's like to you know, have relationships and have, like, sexual or, like, romantic relationships with people, with other queer people, with people who said that they were straight, but they were, you know, mm-hmm. sleeping with someone who identified as non-binary and, and understand, like, so mm-hmm. I, having friends that have been in positions where, you know, their gender identity has made, like, their sexual and romantic relationships, like, super invalidating for them and seeing that happen, it just, it, I... 
you know, obviously like it breaks my heart to see that for people that I love and care about. And so it, I just, I understand and like, you know, I, I understand that the privilege that I have mm-hmm. in, in the, in, you know, the mm-hmm. romantic world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Um, how often do you talk about sex in general? Um, and who do you talk about it with? Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, my my close friends, especially, like, you know, at NYU or from before, you know, and people who've been in, like, their, their long-term relationships. I, like, you know, I like to check in and make sure things are going okay. But um, honestly, it's not a conversation that I have too often with most of my friends. It's really just, like, individuals and what their, their comfort level is to talk about it and for us to, you know, chat about it together. But I don't know. I'm lucky to have friends that are comfortable, like, chatting about it with me. Yeah. So we talk about a term called sexual projects on this podcast. And Mm. sexual projects is sort of, it's the reason why someone seeks a particular sexual interaction or experience. And so some examples might be for to experience pleasure, for intimacy, to become more experienced sexually, for comfort, to have children, to explore one's identity or orientation, or even to not have sex. Um, Do you feel comfortable sharing about any sexual projects you have currently or have had in the past? It's it's funny you phrase it like that, this like sexual projects, because that sounds like I'm a very type A person. And that sounds like the most like type A (laughs) approach um, that topic. But I even as like a super type A person, I don't think I really have like a any sexual projects or, you know, things that I've embarked upon. Yeah, I think it's just a concept that April and I really yeah. like because it, it helps I us like just it. to think about why am I doing this? Yes. Mm-hmm. Am I doing this right now because I need to de-stress? I just want to completely let go and not think about my problems? Right. Or do I want intimacy with this person? Mm-hmm. You know, do I not want to actually have sex? Maybe I want to you know, make out. And that yeah. to me is, is sex. That to me is something that's intimate. Mm-hmm. Um, or do I want to explore my sexuality? Do I want to figure out what I, what I like and what I, I don't like? Right. And I think when we're aware and attuned to what our, we want and what our bodies want, mm-hmm. then we can hopefully be able to have those conversations with the people that sure. we're engaging with. Right. Yeah. And we don't have to say, what's your sexual project? Yeah. Know, what's your sexual project? Right. Yeah. But we're like, just sort of, do they align? Yeah. Like yeah. if someone else is like, I just want like to disassociate and disconnect and I just want to like have pleasure. Right. And someone else is like, I really want intimacy. Yeah. That's not a, that's not necessarily a fit. You're potentially going to like, you know, be on parallel universes, not connecting, not crossing over. So I think that's why we like the, the, the the concept so much. And even, even if you haven't necessarily thought about it in that, those terms, you know, like maybe, maybe there are things that you have kind of, you know, I, I think everybody, if they were to dig deep could, think of like a reason, you know, somebody has said before to us, you know, the first time that they had sex, it was like to check off the box and like other people getting experience (laughs) and those kinds of things. And, you know, and, and so, yeah, and and it changes over time and can, you can have more than one at a time and and those kinds of things. And so, I don't know, maybe, maybe you can start thinking, not necessarily like, (laughs) maybe not necessarily having to be so type A about it and like write it down and everything, but, but I don't like thinking about like why do I want to to or not to engage in sex now or in the future and I don't know it's just an interesting way to because if you think about it yourself then being able to communicate it to somebody else and yeah I mean I hope it's useful for people because I think like when I heard it I was like like oh I really like this term yeah yeah (laughs) so 
What is like one question that you would want to ask your doctor or a medical provider that maybe you didn't feel comfortable asking? Or has there been a question that maybe didn't feel entirely comfortable that you didn't feel like you could answer at some point in your your life when you're sort of engaging right. with the medical system? So I'm very lucky that my my doctor is, she's awesome. I love her. She's We have great conversations. And I think that Something that's super valuable about the the relationship that I have with my doctor is that we are able to talk about like physical and mental health mm-hmm. and how they they relate to each other and mm-hmm. how they affect each other because that is something that is super prevalent for me as like a person who does have like I experience a lot of medical anxiety and I, I have you know, concerns. And I like to ask her all the stupid questions about like the every single possible symptom that I Googled on WebMD (laughs) about what she's prescribing me. Like, Mm -hmm. So I think it's really great too that I, that I do have such a like close connection with her. Mm -hmm. I do always like the one thing that I, I, I don't really ask is like, I've always wanted to just like list every single symptom of my menstrual cycle and say like, is this normal? Because mm-hmm. I'm a believer yeah. in ending the stigma around periods. And whenever I'm on my period, I'm like, this is not something the human body should do. So <laughs> that's like the conversation that I'm like, I, I got to wiggle that into conversation sometime. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Especially because that's something we've talked about as well as like, yeah. we don't talk about periods and right. and if we don't talk about it then people don't know is this normal or not and you know we might talk mm-hmm. in school about these are the phases and this is sort of the quote unquote normal but there's such a wide range of what normal actually is and so what's normal for someone might be abnormal for someone else and vice versa and so yeah well and we're constantly shifting and changing and so what's yeah. normal for us even changes and mm-hmm. so it's good to have such a good relationship with your doctor to be able to be like here's all of my symptoms right now and then in 10 years, yeah. like, I mean, hopefully you're continuing to have that conversation, yes. but like, cause I know at my age, like it's changed so much mm-hmm. from when I was, you know, in, in college. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm so thankful that I too have a really great doctor and I'm constantly avoiding Google cause I've mm-hmm. been there, but <laughs> I like that email account. I mean, I love back, back when I was in college, we didn't have the capacity to email or have like regular right. touch with our doctors. But now I'm like, I just like a running list. Okay, this is different for me this time around. Yeah. I'm freaking out. Send. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and so right. to get that kind of like validation like a few days later to be like, this, this is okay. We can run some tests, but you already had this test done like six months ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think you're right. okay. But if you want to come in, you know, mm-hmm. so it's always nice to have such a good relationship. I know that not everyone has that. So I'm glad that, th- that yeah. you have that experience. Yeah. What do you do to take care of your health, your sexual health and mental health? Yeah, so for for my like physical health, I mean eating a good diet, trying to sleep eight hours a night, which is hard as a college student, but I, I'm trying to commit myself <laughs> to it. Uh, working out in the mornings. Uh, I've always found that like working out every morning, taking a little bit of me time has been so nice. And it's like my one, it's like a fun self task to do. It's like, okay, I get to like listen to some music on the elliptical and then like I'm being good to my body and my brain. Um, and then for... Also, like, sexual and physical health, if we're going to bring the conversation back to periods real quick, I believe in using, like, period products that are, like, kind to your body and the environment. I am a big believer in, like, reusable products like menstrual cups. Mm -hmm. I, like, they've changed my life. Mm. They're so great. It's, like, they, you know, your period doesn't have to be, like, a miserable time where you're, like, just constantly, like, 
cleaning up the mess it's like some and it also doesn't have to be like harmful to like the environment mm-hmm. you don't have to like create so much waste so mm-hmm. it's been nice to like find the alternative that works for me and and then for mental health just like therapy and having friends that are good listeners yeah that's great that is really great i i wanted to bring it back to what you said about being able to talk to your doctor as well about your mental health. I think, you know, all of these things really are so connected, your physical health, your mental health, sexual health. I often like to say dentistry, like eyes, like like the U.S. system is always like separates all these things out Mm -hmm. when it's all so connected. And so I really like that you have this relationship with your doctor to be able to talk about that too, and that you're taking that into consideration when you're thinking about all of your health, Mm -hmm. because eating nutritious meals goes a long way with like your health and right. being able to get all of the the hormones and the microbiome being correct and all of this right. stuff like that are so interconnected. But then the physical, like doing something physical helps with stress and, you know, so, so too does sexual health, right? And so mm-hmm. thinking about like how we're taking care of our sexual health and, and having, you know, conversations around like stressors and difficulties is also like really important. So it sounds like you have really been thoughtful about um, some of these things already. So that's really great to hear. How important is sex in your life and your relationships? And have there been times in your life when it was more important and other times when it was less important? I think it's it's more like the concept of, of sex that people think about, especially as like a teenage girl and then like going to college and you know, there's sort of the expectation where people think, like, hookup culture is super important. You have to be, like, a girl in your, like, 18 to 20 years old phase where, like, you shouldn't get tied down in a relationship. Like, I even, like, even though, like, that mentality doesn't impact, like, my actions at all, I remember, like, beginning of freshman year, one of my best friends was texting me and she's like, I don't know, like, I think I want to, I want to date this guy, um, and I, I think that, like, we should get in an exclusive relationship together, and I was like, don't do that, like, you should, <laughs> you should be, like, a girl in college and, like, hook up with people, and now they've been in, like, a very happy, like, relationship <laughs> for a year, and so, like, I know, and I, and I've met him, and I'm like, oh my god, he's awesome, and it's, like, mm-hmm. it's just, like, funny to think about how the, the, the concept of, like how important it is to like have sex that that we have and these expectations um are just like it you know there is no like one size fits all for mm-hmm. the way that like sexual culture like fits into Mm-hmm. you know, everyone's life. Yeah. I think it should all be normalized. Yeah. You know, if you're not really into the hookup culture, that's totally okay. Right. Yeah. If you really love the hookup culture, go you. Yeah. Be safe. Um, yeah. But like, do you do you. And like, it's not that like one is cool and one is yeah. uncool. Like just um, allow for like whatever you want and whatever you need. Yeah. Cause it's kind of funny. Cause I was like, I, I don't even like hookup culture. So I was just like pushing it. I was like, Oh, like you should do. I was almost like I was trying to like make her into like the person I thought I was supposed to be in college. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, like you should just like hook up with a bunch of people. <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's just like, it's so silly looking back now on like, I don't know, these ideas that I had for like what the norm was. Yeah. yeah. But I think you're not alone. I yeah. think a lot of people have this idea of what's normal and they try to conform because they're looking for that yeah. belonging. Yeah. Right. So we have one final question. Okay. Uh, what does good sex mean to you? I think, It's just something that is safe, consensual, and like a positive experience for the parties involved. Yeah. I think that's very simple. 
but classic. And I I think that like the, the hope is, is that more people like think about what good sex is, not just for them, but for whoever they're partnering with at the time. So thank you so much for, for being with us today. Are there any questions you didn't get to ask or anything that you want to talk about more subject we didn't cover at all or anything else you want to share? No, I'm just, this was so fun. Thank you so much for having me. And I just, I love all the questions that you ask there. I like, there's some fun ones, some more serious ones. Like, I feel like we just covered a lot. It was a really great time. Yeah, we had a good time too. So are there places where folks can find you, find your work or anything that you want to share with listeners? Yeah. So, I mean, there's, I feel like my personal Instagram, it's so like, it's so weird to plug your own Instagram, but like (laughs) my personal Instagram is kind of, I feel like it's the database where like everything's all linked, but also, um, so that's just like my first and last name. Um, and then if people are interested, we briefly mentioned it at the beginning. Um, I'm, I'm doing the social media for, uh, NYU advanced pilot. I'm not, I'm not a producer. I can't take any creative credit. But I have some great friends who are working on this show. It's about a uh, trans man coming out in high school, and it's really awesome. So if people want to check that out on Instagram and then maybe see what happens when it finally comes out, that's called Acting Human. So I encourage people to check that out as well. Great. Is there a release date or an estimated release date? Um, It is. Well, we are. It's filming this semester, so likely towards the end of the semester, beginning of next semester. Awesome. Great. And weren't you a part of Planned Parenthood? Are you still part yes. of that? Like- oh my gosh, I can't believe I forgot okay. to like mention the reason <laughs> I'm here. Yes. I'm like, this is how I, the people that I met through that is uh, how I found out about this podcast. Yeah. The um, Planned Parenthood Generation Action at NYU. It's, this is our first semester being a club. So it's, it's interesting. Um, and we're sort of navigating how to go about that. But when I'm, I'm one of the co-marketing heads for that, so running the Instagram, trying to... Yeah, what a year to have the first yes. uh, yeah first club. I know. Right? it's uh, Yeah. And I'm like trying to be the voice between like the, the executive board and, and students that want to join. So mm. I just encourage people to check the Instagram out. There's a Google form for people who are, are interested in being a part of it. And then uh, hopefully this semester, we're going to be able to like kick off with some fun events and stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So needed. So. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being here. We really had a good time talking to you. All right. Thank you for having me. Thanks. <laughs> thank you. If you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours and may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback, as we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu for anyone 
NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233, or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988 from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Viney Emisa, Zoe Raguzios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 